Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewitt. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. Good morning, Sandy. Morning, Nat. How's it going? It's pretty good. I just ate some peanut butter and a tiny little bit of apple. <laughs> it's like your go-to snack, hey? It's so good. It's so like filling and nutritious and I don't know, makes me feel virtuous. <laughs> okay. Is that a thing? <laughs> no? Sure. What's your go-to snack? Oh, probably just like a banana. Yeah, I'm real exciting over here. That's I'm trying boring. to I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like veggies. I don't know. I'm trying not to snack. I try not to snack that much anymore. Huh. Yeah. Weird. I just like bounce from snack to snack looking forward to the next one. I know, but it's like you actually need your blood sugar to come down in between meals. There's like this myth that you need to keep it up or like level. And I, well, according, I guess maybe I don't know 100% about that, but from the research I've done, you actually need it to like go down and then like come back up. And you don't want it to overshoot, but you need to like go through these little waves. Yeah, but like. I don't know. I just eat when I'm hungry, though. I'm like hungry every two hours or so. I know. I feel like you don't eat enough, though. If you need a proper meal, anyways, we can go on oh. for me lecture. Every time Sandy <laughs> and I get together, I like lecture her about food. Yeah, you need to chill, okay? Like, just <laughs> let me eat my cake and cupcakes and okay. <laughs> and he listen to you complain about how your stomach hurts. <laughs> Isn't that what friends are for? I guess so. This is like tortures me. I like people to be pain free. <laughs> yeah i guess it's like self-inflict yeah it's true okay 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 i will i will every time we talk about food i like swear to be better and as i swear to be better i know there's like chocolate cake in my fridge right now like oh my god (laughs) yeah i'm sorry actually sorry but not sorry. my go-to snacks would be like there's certain treats at like a coffee shop so if i'm gonna snack in the mid-afternoon I will have like a tea or a latte. I'm obsessed with oat milk lattes right now. Like I cannot get enough of them. I'm trying to like break this week, like not have one. And then I will get like a, some like gluten-free vegan thing that's still packed with sugar. That's like, that's like my, I do do that. I'm not perfect. I want to give people that, that impression. Anyways. Yeah, but she still stands on her high horse and like lectures me. So. I will, but then when I when, the thing like when you when you like scold someone else, then you're like, okay, well then I can't be a hypocrite, and you kind of yeah, do yeah. better yourself. <laughs> it's so true. It's like I just told Sandy this thing. Oh, yeah, fuck, I, should not, I shouldn't eat this. Yeah, it's helpful. <laughs> All right, that's good. It's good to know. Yeah. All right, let's get into some of the awesome stuff that we have for you guys today. Okay. Um, yeah, if you guys haven't heard the past couple episodes, we are offering a 10% discount um, on, on any of the Wanderlust events this year. So for the whole year of 2019, you can apply a 10% discount code. Um, we're releasing this episode May 8th. I believe there's like a two-day event in Seattle. Oh, I want to say you're there on like May 18th, 19th or something like that. Um, yeah, and there's tons throughout 
all the US, Canada, like North America, actually all over the world now, they're kind of expanding. So if you guys are interested in that, you can go to our show notes and find the link for that discount. Or you can go to our website, natandsandyyoga.com. And it's right there on our homepage. And it's in the navigation bar at the top as well. You should be able to see this. <laughs> Was that it? Yeah. That's all? That's all you got for plug-in Wanderlust? Seriously? I feel like that was You're a lot. You're going to tell them how, like... <laughs> well, Wanderlust is actually pretty awesome. Like, what? what's your favorite part of Wanderlust? Oh, uh, just not thinking about anything else in life. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> just, Love like, it. 100%, 100% yoga. Um, and, like, that's a... That's, you just kind of immerse yourself completely in it. And getting to try all the different teachers is how I found one of my favorite teachers, um... Tiffany Crookshank and and have just had really good experiences and kind of, kind of like shift the way you think about yoga with each different teacher um, just opens you up to something new. So yeah, yeah, there we go. That's that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our other sort of um, sort of plug, shameless plug that a, a product that we really really love is the rad rollers. So if you're not rolling around on the ground with balls underneath your butt yet, um, you really got to get some balls put them under your butt and roll around because it's so good and uh, so healing and so wonderful. I don't even know how to, I, I don't have enough synonyms for wonderful, but yes, wonderful. Um, so we've got a link up on our website as well as we'll put it in the show notes that just shows you like the whole lineup of rad rollers and they're, they're kind of special because they create like really big balls, really small balls, all sizes of balls and, and many different colors as well, if you're into that. Um, and they're just really specific. They're really good for like small places like your hands or your feet um, or your neck. Uh, and the, each product comes with this like little brochure that teaches you how to use it and gives you like a, a little primer on what fascia is and what myofascial release is. So really good quality products, really specific design that we fully, fully love. I think Nat uses, I think she said she uses it like every private client or something like that yeah every private client and almost every day and myself yeah yeah this morning i did my calves feels amazing mm -hmm. so good yeah all right um and we have a guest with us today i don't know if you've heard her laughing in the background <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Um, my dogs? <laughs> and she has a bunch of dogs so sandy go ahead and um tell oh. our listeners who's here yeah, so we've got Lara Eder, um, and she's a Seattle-based yogi and teacher. And we actually met her. Um, I think we were in Cadaver Lab. We were. Yeah. What an odd place to meet. <laughs> yeah, we all were like wrist deep in cadaver, and we all connected. <laughs> so weird when I say it in words um but that's that's how it happened and anyway she's she's a lovely lovely woman and we uh well I when I met her I always I really did want to know more about her but we we were wrist deep in cadaver and there was other pertinent things to talk about <laughs> but I'm so glad that we have a, a chance to have her as a guest today and to like really pick her brain and get to know her a little okay so Lara before we um get into the questions I think it's it's useful for everyone just to know a little bit about you and your yoga journey, your yoga education, just anything you want to tell us basically. Oh gosh. Well, I have to say I second the, um, the love of balls. <laughs> it never gets old, um, saying it and then laughing because, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, kind of the inner child in me. I refuse to grow up at some point. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, I live in Seattle. I've been here for like 20, gosh, uh, 22 years. I'm originally from Colorado. No, 25 mm. years. I'm older than I think. Um, you know, yoga, I got into yoga, kind of fell into it with um, a friend of mine had gone to like the Shivananda Institute back in 2001, I want to say, and she needed practice students. And at the time I was bartending and I was certainly um, living a very toxic life. And um, it was funny to be dragged into this amazing holistic practice about, um, you know, seeing things as they really are and exploring this life of um, this journey. And it really transformed me. I got sober about a month after my first yoga class. I just really was powerfully transformed. So um, when I started practicing, I was coming from a pretty um, toxic baseline and then just proceeded over the last, gosh, 18 years weaving in and out. And I actually had quit the yoga practice for a few years Um uh, about 12 years ago, I had stopped for a few years just because got busy, you know, was pregnant, had a child, didn't have time, etc. And then just like coming back to that, that salvation, you know, coming back to the mat kind of brought me back into a, a new way of um, living my life, just not making any excuses that I didn't have time for it, but that it would create time in my life. So um, it's a huge huge part of me besides the fact that it's now my occupation. I've been teaching about nine years. I have a 500 hour through Tiffany Crookshank, which is, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool that you meet some amazing women and some incredible trainings. One of them being the exploration of um, yeah, cadavers, just going really deep within the body and connecting with like-minded people who are not only brave enough to do it because it's a pretty intense process, but also um, yoga teachers who are saying like, we deserve to push our educational limits. Like why would a yoga teacher need to go to a cadaver lab? It's like, why not? Why wouldn't we want to know as much about the body as we can and take any opportunity we can to um, dive into it and be amongst others that inspire us because we are all pursuing learning more. So um, I lead teacher trainings here. I'm really a nerd <laughs> at heart. Uh, I do work with Rad Roller. I love balls. I rolled my couch yesterday too. Um, yeah, and I just, I'm getting older though. So I'm just trying to find my place in um, not just teaching, but also as, as a student, <laughs> as, I, as I age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I'm a mom. I'm a mom. So I try and... Um, I try and also present these yoga principles to my child, just knowing that with what we know about all of the uh, mindfulness that can help with the growing mind, the growing body, the growing spirit. So I really am trying to implement that in my son as much as I can, even though he fights me back on it. <laughs> I think that's so amazing. That's so powerful when you can give to your child in that way, or like at least just plant those little seeds. Like, you know, maybe they won't kind of latch on, but they just have that experience of 
um, yeah. being more embodied or like being a little more in tune with their thoughts and emotions and being okay with that stuff. Like, oh, it's so powerful. Yeah. It's so beautiful that you do that. Well, yeah. even the exposure yeah. of it, because when I started doing yoga, it was still kind of weird. It was fringe. Um, certainly wasn't as, um, as uh, widely um, practiced as it is now. It's certainly not nearly as fashionable. In fact, it was not fashionable at all. <laughs> Um, it was just really kind of starting to make its um, its uh, presence through like, I think Time Magazine put out something with Christy Turlington doing yoga, but it was still fairly fringe. So it was really exciting to see how accessible it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I find interesting, so you want to talk about, or you mentioned you want to talk about kind of sustainability and maybe building a sustainable practice, or like you said, like how your practice is evolving um, over time. but for our listeners, if you don't know, if you look at Laura's Instagram, like you'll see her doing all these like pretty, pretty <laughs> deep poses, like what I consider deep in my body. Or if you're not uh, someone who's practiced for 10, 20 years, like that might not be accessible. So I, I find this conversation so interesting that you're going to talk about like yeah. kind of probably like the safety of how you get into some of that stuff and like really looking at your body. Um, honestly, right. like it's a, it's a practice of of honesty. And I know you would not do the things that you do if it didn't feel right. And if you didn't do like all the preparation that you don't see behind right. the scenes. I know it is kind of a, I know kind of an interesting choice of topic considering that, you know, it, in the preface of, of Instagram, for instance, and, and it has so many wonderful qualities. It's obviously got its own pitfalls and um, perhaps downfalls as far as like the presentation of what the yoga practice looks like in a photo versus like you were saying the hours, years, whatever of study and knowledge that goes behind it. But um, <laughs> I have to admittedly say I'm annoyingly <laughs> occasionally coming across maybe a, an account where somebody's like, I've been practicing for nine months and they're pressing the handstand into scorpion oh. wrapping their clothes around their eyes. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe um, it, it, it does drive you back to the fact that we all have to acknowledge the fact that in and of ourselves, our bodies are biochemically and anatomically very individual. <laughs> And so they will, true. They will do some things with more ease, and other things with all the effort in the world are not achievable. So, um, so I do have to say that there is that where I keep kind of coming back to, and also describing to students, or even coming back to myself, saying, "Okay, the joint capsule of the hip," <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like. For some people, it's more shallow. For more people, it's more deep. There's going to be yeah. more space. So um, I think the more knowledge that I've had in learning about the body, it gives me the way to kind of at least um, academically understand mm -hmm. that um, progression or range of motion in people, you know, why it can be what it is. So it's... It's helped a lot, I think, in, in not pushing the body, but sometimes just stepping back and saying, okay, in the scientific realm of things, you know, range of motion being what it is and knowing that there's a, a very big difference body to body and um, baseline functioning to baseline functioning that we can understand the spectrum will be large. 
it will be very large. And um, comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm, Roosevelt yeah. said it best. <laughs> and it cannot be, uh, I think, enunciated enough that, yeah, I mean, you can look at my Instagram page and, um, you know, I think some of my favorite posts have been where I've been radically honest, like, I can't do any further than this. Mm. I've wanted to do Samakonasana, the middle splits, forever, and I can't do it. Mm -hmm. My body just doesn't open that way. Um, so I think in being honest and saying, like, this is a practitioner of so many years with this much understanding of the body, and this pose is probably not going to happen in my brain. I think that's really where I feel the most honest and truthful. And that's the post that probably gets the least likes <laughs> when I'm yeah. struggling. And that's unfortunately um, the, the visual world we live in. Um, so, so take that all with a grain of salt, mm -hmm. I guess. Some things are more accessible in some bodies. I've just naturally been a backbender. My foot likes to go into my armpit, but, you know, does it separate during the, um, you know, in the lateral splits? No. <laughs> Probably never will. <laughs> and like the post that doesn't get very many likes that you're talking honestly about, I think that's okay because so many people are scrolling through Instagram and they're just double tapping things that look pretty, right? <laughs> And it's, yes, yeah, so it's fine. Big, like it's, dramatic. if you put a little blurb on there explaining why, like some people are going to read that and that is going to impact some people. Yeah. You're like, you are going to have an effect on, on the, on the practice of some people. So I think it's still important to do that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really rewarding when somebody, even if it's like a fraction of the people who comment are saying, wow, I wish I could do that. They're saying, wow, I really relate to that. Thank you so much for um, sharing the radical honesty about it. That is where I said like the sustainability comes into point because there's, you know, so much about the, um, the spectrum of the practice and maintaining it, um, and being realistic about it, I think, versus those, um, those posts that are a moment in time that capture something that looks big and grand that really doesn't speak as, as loudly, I think. Mm -hmm. I like that. Like you on, almost kind of use though, the, um, the visual draw of the more complex poses to, you kind of like, you can draw people in on your account though. And then you can like drop those other little bits in there. It's like, I've got your attention. Um, yeah. And then, oh, here's, oh. here's something else. <laughs> well, and I'll be you know, quite honest. I'm 47 now. And it's, um, you know, my body does not do things as easily as it did even a few years ago. You know, not to say that I won't grow in strength or mobility or, um, or, or I think that I, cause I've seen, I've seen particularly, I would speak of women just because I think that, um, like I just kind of connect more with their experiences as just the framework of the feminine body um, that I've seen women learn amazing things in their fifties. So by no means do I think that I have peaked per se. I do think some things I have peaked with and I'm getting um, a lot more radically honest with my body as it ages and know that the injuries or the um, maybe the need for rest has been very different in the last few years than it was say 10 years ago. <laughs> 
or that my desire to push certain poses has changed a lot. And um, that, yeah, some of it too is in selfishness that I love the fact that this has given us, I guess maybe a nice excuse to take visual diaries of our practice because I have a feeling that when I am 70 years old, I will not be touching my feet to my head in a handstand, but there will be some satisfaction looking back and saying, I could, and here, (laughs) you know, or that it's like you said, kind of like that visual diary of almost like the teenage hormonal thoughts, you know, when you go back and read what you thought when you were young. And you laugh about it or think about, wow, I was actually kind of highly evolved at that age or ridiculous. And so the same thing here is like, I can look back and say, this was part of my, my story. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So, and there's, um, that was winter. (laughs) Hi, winter. (laughs) Hi, winter. Puppies. Winter is is not a down dog. It's kind of a I always love the, the puppies of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you go. You have a whole other uh, puppies of podcast. Maybe I can come oh back to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Where we like identify the barks. That's winter. Oh, That's not winter. <laughs> no, uh, Game of Thrones. Winter is here. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. So just to, to come back on, on topic. Um, so you mentioned a few things there that I think are really important. And, and for me personally, like, yeah, definitely. I'm 33, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 33, almost 34. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, like, like I've been telling, you know, like 20 year olds that I come across, like, oh my gosh, hangovers in your 30s are so much worse <laughs> than hangovers in your 20s. <laughs> um, yeah. um, so that's like one thing. And then the other thing, like for me, the yoga practice is definitely evolving day to day, month by month, year by year. Um, and I just wanted like, because you've given this so much thought, what what are some of the most important lessons, let's say, that yoga has sort of given you or, or shown you um in this realm of like thinking about sustainability and thinking about like this lifetime of practice, not just this one screenshot of, you know, the, the blink of an eye sort of um, time period. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. Um, fortunately I got sober, um, before I was in my (laughs) thirties. Yeah. (laughs) Um, good job. um, So I have to say that I didn't suffer the, the older, um, post effects, but I mean, I came in toxic and limping and um, mm. uh, spiritually bankrupt. So, um, so my motivation to start practicing certainly wasn't about the postures. It was just like all of a sudden, I felt this capacity to breathe. And so, like the 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 invocation of pranayama in my life. I think might've been what hooked me in yoga first was just the powerfulness of not just our, our, you know, our respiration, our lungs, you know, and, and any of the, the in and out of, you know, of the simplicity of breath, but the power of breath to give us those energetic, um, fills that in the past that substances had given me or experiences had given me that it was like, I have this within me. I have this at my own like 
um, tissues. This is inside me. And so just in and of itself is just starting with the, the power of breath, the power of the pranayama um, practice, and even the most simple form of like Nadi Shodhana, like, um, you know, uh, balanced channels, evenness of, um, of the breath or retention, simplistic things. Um, and then opening up this whole amount of uh, prospect of fueling my body and feeding it. So and nourishing it. And then, um, you know, just energetics movements, starting with uh, feeling these, these, these highs, you know, feeling these highs that come from. And then after that, after I, I started to get a little bit, because I was bouncing back pretty quickly physically at that point, but just really realizing, wow, your body is amazing. And you have a chance to actually try and calm these wild thoughts between your ears and with meditation. So, you know, once I kind of got myself healthy, then I just in addict's mind, I started to chase the poses kind of in like the way that I did, you know, in experiences. So, um, you know, so for a long time in my practice and I've been fortunate that some things just came a little bit easier. Like I said, I just seem to have a spine that likes back bends more. And I just had a little bit more natural range of motion with the pelvis that I think that we get gratified when things come a little bit easier to us. And, um, so I definitely have, I think maybe pursued things because some things just naturally came a little bit easier where for other people, their sense of reward might come if it's harder. So I think sustainability and um, the path that we take obviously kind of comes down to what kind of personality you have <laughs> as well. Like, are you type A? Are you type, are, you know, are you more of a go with the flow? Um, that's so true. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be honest. And I think that that's one thing that um, in, in study too of anatomy with Tiffany um, in yoga medicine, just deepening my knowledge of anatomy, like realizing, okay, some of these things just innately came easier because your body's um, put together to um, accept these expressions with more ease. And so, um, but, you know, in watching the aging process or also inviting in the teaching to a lot of my students, I've been fortunate to also watch them age and them stick around. Um, and then younger people coming in with just a whole nother set of wants and expectations. And it's just interesting to try and balance like the hooking the new student into this practice mm -hmm. like why you want this to be in your life <laughs> and then um keeping the aging student uh why you want to maintain this in your life despite the fact that maybe gravity is doing what it's doing yeah. um <laughs> you know um you maybe are wanting different different um levels of exertion out of it or um you know, or the person that's kind of in between who maybe is just coming to yoga because it fits their time schedule or they're, they just turn the Fitbit on and they want to see how it raises their heart rate and their caloric output. And, you know, yeah, yeah. very interesting dichotomy nowadays mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. to try and serve your students. And yet at the same time, think about yourself as like, without being a student, you can't really be a teacher. Yeah, Absolutely. 
it's very challenging as a teacher, I think. Well, and that's the sustainability thing too, is like, I've fallen in all the pitfalls as a teacher. Like I taught part-time, I used to work in a hospital as a social worker and I would do um, crisis evaluations on people to, um, that was my training for several years. Um, after I got sober, I of course was like, oh, I want to save the world. I want to save addicts. I want to save people with mental health issues. And um, was doing the evaluations to assess if they needed to go into a medical detox, a skilled nursing facility, because maybe they weren't stable and they needed to get stabilized because um, uh, they were a fall risk or they just weren't physically able to go through a, um, a medical detox or if they needed to go to mental health. And so I was teaching a little bit part-time then. And um, then when I went to teaching full-time, it's like I practiced less when I worked more than when I was teaching full time, my practice started to slip because I was teaching during the times I would normally practice. So mm-hmm. I think that's a pitfall that, and I don't want to say it's new teachers. I see it come and go throughout my life going on almost 10 years of teaching and teachers teaching longer than I, but definitely the new teachers of starting as teachers and putting so many of their hours into teaching that their own practice slips. And there goes the sustainability. Like if your well is empty, what can you offer? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's only yeah. so many like safe sequences in your mind or um, only so many like class formats that you have in your kit that you can do before you start to feel really um, uninspired and uninspiring and purposeful less, right? You're not coming in like with an agenda that is to really serve that student versus like, this is just all I have for you right now, <laughs> right foot forward, warrior mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. I had that experience yesterday, actually. So I've been do- kind of like my, oh, I can kind of hear an echo, I don't know. Interesting. Maybe it's my no. <laughs> See, you guys were talking about food earlier on, and I'm doing this trendy thing called intermittent fasting. Oh, you are. So I don't get to eat until one o'clock. So the world can probably hear my oh. stomach. Right now. Oh no. Okay, now I don't hear the echo as much. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, I'll continue. I'll ignore it. So I've yeah, my classes. I've been shifting my schedule to completely stop teaching and so we're recording this in April so I'm by the end of April I'm totally done taking two months off moving to Victoria oh beautiful yeah but then this last week I'm also doing some geology work on the side I say like I do geological modeling as my side gig uh that sounds pretty big yeah and I was given this pretty big project and literally have been at my computer sitting for like a week solid barely any movement like I've just been going at it so hard yeah um oh now the echo's back oh well anyhow so I had to teach one class yesterday it was so 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 difficult I just I couldn't even focus on like one peak pose yeah one type of posture to focus on I just didn't know yeah (laughs) like because I hadn't been in my body and it was just like the most excruciating thing. Well, like once I got there, it was fine. But before I was like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And it was just, yeah. 
felt really well, weird. And I even, yeah, I even think like the longer you've been teaching, when you start to realize that there's a dryness or that the purposefulness isn't there, I think it's more pressure than when you were newer because I think that you are perhaps going, I'm an experienced season teacher and I've got this vast, um, you know, body of education mm-hmm. that is higher pressure, like the expectation that you are serving more because you should have more to serve is there. But um, yeah, I mean, desks, you know, desks are definitely, um, desks are definitely a lot of reasons why people are coming to yoga, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also, I think, um, uh, because it's so much technologically and staring at computers and such that that human connection in, in, in yoga as a teacher, as a student, is that human exchange is just so vital that when you start to be less and less human um, uh, oriented or human um, exchanges, that it's such a shock mm-hmm. to get into a, um, a mat with no screen and just like uh, organic movement. It's mm-hmm. almost like a, a deeper or a, a bigger um, extreme. Yeah. And as yeah. soon as I get on my mat for like 10 minutes, it just kind of all floods back. I remember everything or I'm inspired. Things just come naturally. But yeah, that like hard separation of several days of no, it was like no movement, no yoga, no nothing. It was like 7 a.m. at my computer to like 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like just well, eating. Well, thank God that <laughs> muscle has memory, so many memories, you know, so many memories. Yeah. <laughs> My muscles don't seem to want to remember what they felt like when they were 30. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm 47, so <laughs> yeah. you're like, let's pretend we're 41. <laughs> <laughs> so I did want to ask you something, Lara. You mentioned before about balancing a class. Um for the younger people who are looking for maybe something more physical and then um, creating a more open and sustainable practice for someone that's also older within this one group class. I was just wondering, because I know a lot of our listeners are new teachers. um, What tips do you have? Tips or tricks or little, little nuggets of wisdom? Well, I am still working on that myself. Um, So I think what's fairly common, at least in my area, at least in Seattle. Um, and I, I mean, I've, I've traveled every time I travel, I like to take yoga where I go, but there's that, um, and it's economically the most sustainable business model for studios is the all levels class. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think if we're all honest, it's not all levels because you're walking in off the street with maybe a herniated disc, (laughs) his doctor said you should go check out yoga. Um, but didn't really, emphasize that you shouldn't be forward folding a vinyasa class is not the best place because there's still this working like grasp in a lot of um a lot of the medical providers or a lot of the um, referral bases to yoga like yoga is great for most bodies for a variety of ways but there are so many different styles and some that will just be absolutely um so inappropriate for somebody's body or their level of fitness or whether it's heated, whether or not, you know, so many different things that when somebody comes in and says, well, it's all levels, it says the the new student or the experience that that's putting a tremendous amount of pressure for a teacher to provide 75 minutes of a 
rewarding experience for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, one thing that I've definitely seen as a teacher is that because I do have a son, he plays little league and, you know, I like to be home with my family that I've worked really hard to get myself to a schedule where more of the students that I tend to see are not the younger twenties who are wanting to do, which is funny because I I can do handstands. I can teach them, you know, do it for all, all these years, but um, aren't wanting this huge physical um, advanced, um, you know, I want my abs to bleed. I want my arms to <laughs> kind of practice. Um, and they tend to want to have a little bit more of like, I want, this is like, I want to know why this pose is good for me. I want to know why this sequence is good for me. I want it to, um, you know, nourish my body and challenge me in ways that aren't so like, this is an advanced pose, but more, this is a progression towards, um, evolving the tissues and the muscles and the stability and the joints, you know, where it's going to be more of a sneaky and subtle challenge. Mm -hmm. So first in and of itself that I have kind of customize my life that that's a little bit more of the, the student that I'm serving now. Not to say that if somebody was 22 and they came in my class and like, this is not for you. I teach old people because that is, not <laughs> no. that is not it. But having, I think a little bit more of a, um, a knowledge too, of like maybe if you're starting in a twisted lunge, allowing to thoughtfully cue to nobody feels left behind that the back knee can lift you can take binds, you can, you know, take that into, and I don't tend to teach bird of paradise. I'm not a big fan of that pose, but, um, more of working on, say, if you've got a bound lunge where the person is standing on the front leg that's bound and working on maybe a bound baby standing split where you get the toes lifted, which that is super challenging. That's hard for most people. So being able to add in the challenges through knowing the progression of poses, especially like if you're in a class and you're teaching and the, and the medium class is more maybe experienced, but not super, um, uh, bandy or wrap around, like obviously identifying energetically. Wow. That, that person over there, maybe coming by while you're speaking you say, Hey, have you tried this? You know, and giving them that, that reward that they're getting challenged and they're being seen like, Oh, teacher has identified. I'm advanced. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also not leaving anybody else behind and speaking to, because you can't speak to the lowest level of the class. You can't speak to the most advanced. You have to speak to the average, but you can still go and support the person who is struggling subtly, Mm -hmm. quietly, without speaking globally and you can go to the person that is, you know, and this is even with 40 people in your class, it is doable. I think it's hard to do it as a newer teacher, but I think that's something that over time and experience you can get um, more savvy with and more subtle with. Yeah. Um, but really by and of itself, like for the last few years, I've gone into my classes and said, hi, I'm Lara. Today, we're going to work on the external rotation of the hip. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, this is um, valuable. And these are some of the um, maybe muscles that will be involved. So 
I think that if you go in and tell people, this is what we're working on, and this is why you're going to benefit from it, that you've probably intrigued 90% of them already, that they don't even care as much about, is there going to be a pose they can do, but that they are going in knowing that the value of it is something that's optimum and you've curated it with thoughtfulness. I love that. I think that's like exactly it. I think when you go in with this purpose, it just it just makes it clear to people what you're about, you know, and then they, uh, regardless of what they wanted from the practice, again, like the all levels thing, regardless of their level, regardless of their experience, they're there to learn from you, you know, and so there's um, hopefully this openness to doing that and learning what you have to offer, yeah. because you're offering with purpose. Yes, um, so yeah, I think that's really wow. valuable. Yeah, they're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna benefit from this. Yeah. I will, benefit. this will make me have more range of motion, this will make me more stable. This will make you know me more strong, et cetera. And I think that is more powerful than saying we're going to work on handstands at the wall. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. because you know there is a little bit more of like giving it to them of like this is your body to um, to build and yeah. to strengthen and to make more mobile. And I think that is a huge reward. Yeah. Um, and even, even if you do do handstands by the wall, like, which I do. like yeah, like don't, it, it's really nice to not make the handstand the point, but yeah. the awareness of something like your fingers in a handstand at the wall, like that's the point, you know, like, and, and so it's, it's more of this like mindfulness exercise than it is a, um, handstand exercise, which is kind of like, it's really cool the way that we as yoga teachers are able to do that. Cause in a lot of other modalities, there isn't this ability to like talk someone so thoroughly through something, yeah. you know, like personal trainers may be able to do it one-on-one, -on -one, but not a personal trainer to like a class of, you know, 40. You can't, yeah, <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. And it's a huge responsibility too, because you have to yeah. think about the safety. Um, most of the times people who are working with injuries or, um, some type of maybe, um, I don't want to call it dysfunction per se, but they don't come in and they don't tell you. And, um, you know, so you are trying to give people a dynamic, smart, effective experience kind of with one eye closed because you don't have the inner knowledge. Like one of the things I've really done is, and it's, I think it's easiest to do with shoulders because most people's shoulders are exposed. Um, you know, a lot of men practice with their shirts off or women in tank tops, but you can look for scars. Like I look for scars around the shoulder joint because you can tell a lot of people have had um, surgery, you know, rotator cuff surgery. Cause I, um, um, I, I, I don't know. I, with the shoulder module that I took towards the 500, um, you know, just learning about so many of the different, um, things that can go wrong. It's so funny. Like three quarters of the students in that training were like, Oh my God, diagnosing ourselves. But, um, you know, paying a lot of attention to the fact that power vinyasas or vinyasas load the shoulder a ton. Mm -hmm. And I used to practice Ashtanga a lot, which is I love the Ashtanga practice. I love the method. I love the um, uh, primary series. I love to hate it, actually. But um, <laughs> it came to a point where, like, anatomically, my shoulders did not want to pick up and jump back and jump through over and over and over. So um, 
you know, so then I, you start to think, oh, well, my shoulders. And so they start looking at shoulders. I start looking at scars, or I start looking at um, when people are standing in samastitihi, one shoulder lower than the other. And then you can start to identify your students as you're walking around to kind of go serve them a little differently because you're seeing visual information that wasn't given to you right beforehand. They didn't say, I had a rotator cuff surgery a year ago. My supraspinatus, you know, decided to tear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can see though, something is different. Um, yeah. You know, most people are thankfully wearing pants or shorts. It's <laughs> 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 in glasses, not on Instagram. But you, you can't see like, has there been trauma to the pelvis? Um or such, but you can, you can see, you can start to look at people's bodies for imbalances or sometimes that low hanging fruit scars to say, okay, there is something different on this side of this body or this joint. So I can serve them probably be coming by like, Hey, you know, um, how's this feel? Or how's that shoulder feel, etc. Um, and try and offer them your assistance without pointing them out, without calling them out or without speaking to that, but supporting them. Yeah, that's awesome. I think (laughs) also students, even if you do have the opportunity to talk to your students before class and ask them if they have any injuries or anything they want to discuss before class or if anything's like different in their body, so many people won't discuss it with you because I guess, well, I'm trying to think from my perspective when I was a student before I taught, like I didn't know why the teacher needed to know. I thought maybe they'd give me something different or like not as challenging or tell me not to do a pose when I thought that I could still like intelligently go into it pain-free or something like that. So I think so many students withhold information, which I mean, that's the right. It's totally fine, but we're trying to guide them um, safely and give them options. And even if people tell me like they have injuries and whatnot, like half the time they're like, okay, I had this knee thing or head surgery last year. I know what to do. And I'm like, okay, great. And then I just like keep a watchful eye and like, let me know if something doesn't feel good. But yeah, like, yeah, you can also start to see when you do look for those asymmetries in your students, like one shoulder lower or higher than the other, like maybe there's something, there's an imbalance there. Um, pre-pain like pre-injury when you can start to um you notice them in side plank or something like that like one shoulder's a little more wobbly and then you can like cue specifically to them that shoulder like what to do to bring more strength into it before the injury occurs well and I think one of the things that's best also for teachers talk about sustainability in your career is to build relationships with your students the investment in your students and their progress or sometimes their lack thereof or their peaks and valleys is also one thing I think that keeps us as teachers wanting to get better and better is like not just coming in looking at a sea of bodies and a sea of warrior ones, but looking at people as as their experiences and their practices personally and watching students working through things um, and um, working around things. Like some of my favorite students have been the ones that will just outright modify and have every prop around them, mm-hmm. but still, you know, still come in and don't quit because that's the thing about sustainability. Like, for instance, I spoke of Ashtanga. I am not vilifying it whatsoever. I love it. And I love 
is the father of what we do a lot of in the vinyasa world, you know? So without it, much of what I currently teach and practice would not have occurred. But you come to a point where you maybe physically realize for yourself that something isn't necessarily the um, best way that your body can experience movement. And you start to then cross practice, you know, maybe it's funny though, Ashtangis tend to be very committed and you'll see a lot of them walking around very stiff and admitting that they are unable to do certain things from, you know, maybe certain series, but they tend to just stay very loyal to Ashtanga. But a lot of people with them, maybe they're recovering Ashtangis, meaning that was their first love, but they aren't really able to practice it to its fullest, or even if it's six days a week, they can't even commit to that or doing it in the morning, that they start to go towards something that's a little bit more liberal in maybe power vinyasa or vinyasa, where there isn't the expectation that you're doing the sequence or the scheduling or et cetera. And then maybe doing something that's going to meet your body or your mind or your schedule where it's at. And then maybe going, oh, what's this restorative yoga stuff? I don't think I can lay around and do nothing. That would drive me crazy. And then most people try and go, where has this been my whole life? You know? Yeah. Um, so then like cross-practicing and inviting in different styles. And even the person that does still want an inversions practice, still wants to put their foot behind their head which is becoming less and less appealing to me. I have to say the old I get, but um, thank God for pictures, right? Oh, I did uh. it. Um, that um, now they're starting to think about, oh, wow, that slow flow class I took the other day was actually really hard. Mm. I felt amazing. That was so, um, you know, fantastic for me that Thursday where I needed a class that I didn't have the energy and that I still got served so highly um, that uh, that then we can elongate our practices by opening up our, our minds and our hearts to this spectrum now of um, what's available. Because even when I first started practicing, level one, level two, hatha. Um, or Hatha Flow, you know, things were a little bit more narrowed in the offerings. And now you open up like a regular studio, um, a larger studio, and there might be eight classes a day, three to four different styles on that, that daily offering, which is huge. That's just such a, a rich benefit to our students. We can meet more bodies where they're at, mm -hmm. more schedules where they're at. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to like point to one thing that you're talking about, about connecting to your students. And I think that is really important because the, the idea of like creating a community where we all belong as a teacher, we are at the head of that, you know, like we, we yeah. lead by example in a way. So like talking to people, just being like generally a good person and friendly, <laughs> that's super, super important <laughs> and not, not insulting people <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Like that's important. Those could slap you, but I don't think you can get away with that now. We have to actually be warm. 
Well, like you should just just be nice, right? Don't be like mean to people. Don't don't tell them like, oh, your skin is really gross and dry. Like that's not very nice to say. My skin is really dry right now. It's really dry wow. and dry. Great lunch. You need some lotion. <laughs> Um, but to, um, I know I need some lotion so bad. Um, (laughs) just about the whole like progression thing. Like I've had some really, really good teachers. Like I love the teachers who have pushed me to progress poses and pushed me to progress in strength and stuff like that and, and flexibility. Um, and that, that's really addictive and you know, they'll be like, Oh, next week you'll be level two. Like these sort of, um, what are they called? They're like sort of like promises in a way do you know what I mean like if you work hard you're gonna you're gonna be able to get it and it's okay honestly it is all is coming yeah it's kind of a mind fuck right it's like (laughs) (laughs) it's like a mind fuck though it's like coming from a student's perspective um that's you have just taught me as a teacher to only judge my practice by how I progress in the physical way, because that's the only thing that we can physically see, right? You can't see anything else. So lately I've been really trying to make it like a really mindful, um, mindful, uh, uh, change to, commend people on like, oh, it seemed like you were really connected to your breath today so that they, you know, and that's like a good thing. And then that's now like, you know, like trying to show them that here's another way of measuring progress. Here's another way of measuring um, your yoga goodness, you know, like your your yoga points, you know, You're if I was going to give you as a yogi. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like if I'm going to like give you a report card, it's going to be on your ability to connect, your ability to drop in, your ability, like, you know, like to turn off your sympathetic nervous system and turn on your parasympathetic nervous system or, or something or your awareness or your focus. Um, so I like because we are leaders, um, you know, in this classroom, I, I just I'm trying to really focus on turning some dialogue around, turning some, because it's so easy, right? It's so easy to fall into that and just be like, you can do Warrior 2 now. Yeah. Good. Come to next week and we'll do Warrior 3. Like, <laughs> And by the end of the year, we'll make up a Warrior yeah. just to keep it. <laughs> warrior <laughs> 18. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so, you know, and that, I, I Thankfully, I'm noticing the evolution of dialogue as well. And I got hooked on this as a student myself, because again, I was fortunate that some things came a little bit easier um, for my body than um, maybe it did for some others. Not to say that there weren't other things that I struggled with that I'd look around and say, oh my God, that person's been practicing as much as me and they're doing that. Why am I not? Um, But, you know, that dialogue, like, if you're more flexible, try this. If you're more advanced, try this. And that dialogue hooked me at times because I was doing things where maybe it was like linguistically tied into this, you know, in some ways emotional blackmail. <laughs> thinking, it is. Oh, I must be advanced. And then um, chasing that, that path. Yeah. And, um, and I don't hear it as much now. Thankfully, I think teacher trainees are hopefully getting better and better about saying, please do not say that. Think about the semantics yeah. in your in your dialogue. But I also remember being called out to demo things in class and just boasting with pride and feeling 
like the shit, you know, <laughs> so cool. And I'm like, wait a second, what did I learn from that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I'm thinking why, you know, we, we as teachers can't sit there and be like, look at so-and-so let's watch them do this, mm-hmm. um, you know, demo in that we have to present the practice um, minus that as me taught. Like what happened to thinking about like practicing away from the ego, breaking it down, right? Remembering that really essentially this practice isn't about, if you want a sustainable yoga practice, it isn't going to be about the asana. You need to go beyond. You need to go to the, you know, to the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. Good Lord, I don't know about the eighth. Samadhi comes and goes, (laughs) flirts with me, and then leaves. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like also being... Being, um, knowing that our students deserve to know that there is yoga beyond the poses Mm. or even the, even the pranayama, you know, um, but in knowing that they deserve to have weaving in as an advancing practice, as a practice that needs to get sustainable, knowing that at some times their yoga practice will be trying to sit in stillness for five minutes. Mm Mm-hmm trying to observe, trying to practice some concentration, remove a sense or two, or if they're lucky, three, you know, (laughs) but um, taking that practice beyond the physical. So, um, you know, whether that's not getting like somebody who practices power, 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 power to go to a restorative class once, or even to lit, sit in in a lecture of maybe uh, the Yoga Sutras, which I think is way harder, <laughs> way harder mm-hmm. than a lot of poses. Mm-hmm. Trying to wrap your mind around, you know, Chitta Vritta Naroda, trying to calm the fluctuation of the mind or even dive into the, um, you know, the philosophical nuggets of the practice. You know, and then as teachers being able to weave those in so that people understand that that is the progression as mm-hmm. well. That's the yeah. Point. Yeah. I, so I really think most people come to the practice of yoga. Um, I mean, for the, the physical draw, like they, they want to move their body more. They don't want to sit at a desk for 12 hours a day. <laughs> they want to, and, and it does have that um, reputation for um being sustainable for creating more space in your body. So people are drawn to that. And then you talked about earlier in our conversation about kind of allowing your personality to draw you to different um, styles of practices. Um, So like, yeah, if you are that type A person and, and that's what you need is to kind of go after poses to anchor you into your body and the practice then that's totally fine. Like, I think this idea of yoga of needing to change who you are, like change that type A. I sometimes received <laughs> those teachings from teachers that um, parts of my practices, like oh. not that, not like people saying Ooh. specifically need to change, but yeah. like there is that idea of if you are more type A driven, like that you need to calm that permanently. <laughs> 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 and that's really like that's unsustainable. Yeah. It goes deep into the brain, and um, you know, last time I checked, my skill set goes nowhere near being able to 
uh, yeah, work on people's Yeah, so it's like it's a complementary <laughs> practice and you can use the practice to anchor you into yeah. um, getting yourself into a classroom. And yes, you're going to do the pranayama. You're going to sit for five minutes in meditation or at least you're going to get shavasana. I hope um, so. And, and yeah, like, okay, you're doing some poses. That's fine. That's good. Um, hopefully you have a teacher who yeah. can move your body uh, in a smart and sustainable way so you're not injuring yourself. But yeah, you're kind of getting in there. And then also create, yeah, but I think also create the reason why those those physicality chasers should stick yeah. around. Oh, yeah, Shabbat yeah. Because there are still a lot of people who, a lot of long-term practitioners who still struggle with, you know, why do I need Shavasana? Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, <laughs> like yeah. Why Go do I need Shavasana if you don't want Shavasana? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually just read a, a study on uh, motor learning and rest, and I think it was like two groups. It's always two groups, two or three groups, and then one was given like a ten-minute period. So I think it was a really simple motor learning test. Like you had to put your computer mouse on a specific thing at a specific time mm-hmm. um so they everyone learned it and then one group was just right away tested in how well they did um in a speed performance for it and then the other group was given a 10 minute rest to do nothing to just like sit there and <laughs> do nothing <laughs> um and of course the rest group did better the rest group learned it faster and retained it longer well yeah i mean my yeah. it's like looking at you know children toddlers like why are you fighting your nap? You're going to, oh, come on. Um, why are you fighting your nap? When you get older, you're going to just desperately wish you could have that nap. Oh, I fucking love naps. <laughs> um, yeah, that should be a podcast for me. Hashtag nap life because I make, I, I am pretty type A, but I make no excuses. And I am sick of like people trying to make you feel like you need to apologize for it's like, I'm taking a nap oh, today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't yeah. need to explain that to you. I yes, I'm sure I should be out productively doing something, but I'm going to shut down right now because I need it. Yeah. So, um, but then in that that also goes back to and again that sustainability is like I have some people that I know, and some of them are fellow teachers, and by no means do I think I know more than they do. But I sometimes question, like for instance, all they want to do is yin, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, hmm. Okay, I think that obviously connective tissue work, which as we learned, as we're learning more and more, and it's becoming more and more fascinating and more and more revelations about the value of addressing connective tissue, um, balls, uh, (laughs) balls, balls, balls. (laughs) All the shapes and sizes, because really, you know, there's connective tissue everywhere. You don't want to put a small myofascial ball on your diaphragm, but you do want to roll the connective tissue on it. So, um, you know, is it sustainable in your body to just do acts of stretching? You know, where is your stabilization? Where is your strength to support the mobility? So, um you know, and if you think about like, you can't have all Agni, you can't have all fire or all you'll, you'll burn up, mm-hmm. but you can't have all water or you might drown, you know, energetically. So trying to convince the person that just wants to lay on a bolster and stretch 
five days a week, that that is not going to, that there could be attenuation, like in a few years, maybe, that they may start to have um, a lack of joint support because mm -hmm. what they loved and what gave them what they wanted and served them for a while may not actually be good for their body in a few years because they didn't complement it. So, yeah. um, so I look more and more at that as well. Um, not again, not to vilify a certain style, but you know, the more we learn too about things and then or even like later on, reach your arms up, pull your shoulder blades down. It's like, no, when you reach your arms up, your shoulder blades are supposed to rotate up. That's their job. You want them to move. So how many people through the queuing of saying, pull your shoulder blades down your back when you reach your arms up has caused problems, you know, that in our best attempts at teaching, we learn through hindsight, like, oh my gosh, why are all these people getting, you know, injuries or, or um, dysfunctions or why are all these SI joints unstable all of a sudden? Like, is it because of our teaching? Is it because what we thought we were doing over these years, now that we have all these things showing up and we're studying, we're going back downstream and learning, well, gosh, it could be because we've made their joints unstable because we thought at the time what we learned was the way to do it. Yeah. So when it now, sorry, I made a mistake. Yeah. That was wrong. How many thousands of people did I say that to? I apologize. That's hard as a teacher to come back on like teaching something one way. And then, I mean, that's the practice of being a teacher. You have to be vulnerable and that's a very vulnerable place to be in. Um, but it, yeah, yeah, it's like, so what you're saying is part of the, um, part of practicing sustainability as a teacher is to continue your education, like further your education. Don't just stop mm -hmm. once you learn one thing. And, and. Yeah, refer your students to other teachers. Yes. Other styles. Yeah, I always there say is that. Yeah. Abundance. There's abundance. There's that my student, my class, you know, kind of mentality a lot. And I don't yeah. know everywhere, but I think it's it's a business, you know. Yeah. yeah. Money money involved. Once you put money involved, business and business then starts to threaten and there's abundance issues and such. But we need to also refer our students to other styles. We need to maybe mm -hmm. say, Hey, I don't think you should practice yin five days a week. I think maybe you should try a slow flow a couple times. You'll get some good stretching in there. You're not going to lose your flexibility, but mm -hmm. it starts stabilizing you. Or another big topic that I think is actually super cool and um, I'm seeing a lot of lately as far as the, and it's, it's for teachers as teachers, it's for teachers as students, it's for students as students is cross-training, mm -hmm. cross-training. A lot of um, bodies that wanted to, I wanted to be a yoga purist for years and that's what I was. And then I started realizing that all I do is push. I don't pull a lot. So lifting, strength training, working with some different movements, you know, mobility work, I think is so valuable to elongate our first love. Like if I lift, like do light strength training, the next day, I haven't lost all my flexibility, but if anything, my muscles have fired in a different way that when they come into a pose, they can relax differently and they can engage differently. 
and I'm finding lately for the better, at least maybe for the aging me, you know, but I think referring our students or referring ourselves to possibly lifting a weight once in a while. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So much. That's... Yes. Yeah. I definitely see that more like in, in the circles of people that we're involved with. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, you can integrate yoga into a weightlifting practice too. Like you can do something and you can do a little Tadasana in between. <laughs> you can you stand, can. close your eyes. You can't, but there's also that awareness too of like anterior tilt, you know, uh, posterior tilt, you know, just thinking about lengthening through the lumbar and strengthening it, you know, because there's certain things you need to do as far as lifting if you're picking up weights. And then Having that then in your um, teaching, when you're teaching with Katasana, you know, like chair pose, fierce pose, like going, wow, you know, when I was doing a deadlift and I was thinking about this tilt of the, of the pelvis, you know, and mm-hmm. how it's supported in that strengthening or recruiting the abdominals, like it's really mind blowing to see and learn from other, because you were saying, talking about personal trainers, I'm not doing it to 40 people typically, it's one-on-one, but even if it's a small group class, like you're learning a lot about the anatomical richness from another modality that is just complementing your knowledge and your experiential usage of it. So then when you go to teach a pose, you could teach the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, I think because I, I did a Shenga and I did so many forward bends for so many years for oh. a while. Yeah. And <laughs> and like it wasn't until I started squatting and deadlifting that I really understood what a tight hamstring felt like. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's, it's important. It's important to know what that feels like. So you can speak to it. And so that you, like we as yogis know how to stretch the shit out of our bodies, but (laughs) do we know how to like necessarily strengthen it? Like, no. So you're right. It's so complimentary. And like, honestly, it, it has made me feel so much stronger and so much more stable. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's interesting when you start to point out, um, to people that, you know, hypermobility may look cool in a picture, but it feels lousy. Oh my God. Yes. You know, having no support, but then being so strong that you can't move is also not a goal, you know, of the body. (laughs) Um, But being balanced. So sometimes you need to secede some of that strength where some of that flexibility, if you want a sustainable body, a body that's going to be able to get out of bed and be independent when it's 90 years old. Like one of my favorite teachers, aside from Tiffany, is um, Amy Apolity. And I'll never forget one time she said, I want to be able to make my own smoothie when I'm 90. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, like that's about being independent. That's being stable and strong, but also mobile, not in an, in an extreme way, but having yeah. the ability to function independently. And I think that that's what, you know, I want from my body and my body's practice. Um, and it needs to get strength now from other sources so that it can do its yoga practice a little more efficiently. And so if I don't want to put my foot behind my head anymore, that's fine. I have a photo. I might have a few. Yay. But, you know, <laughs> is that because I'm instead making the tissues and that joint more sustainable over time? In all likelihood, yes. And that is that going to benefit me? Absolutely. And can I like go to sleep better at night knowing that? Definitely. Um, 
And then as a teacher, can I refer people to other exercise modalities or schedules or classes and not be feared that my numbers will look lower because I'm thinking that that student would benefit from other experiences? Like I have to be okay with that. I have to be secure in the fact that I can say, yeah, I don't have the most popular class necessarily, but I hope the students who come to me are out there living their best lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, uh, again, ego, but it, it just makes me laugh. Cause I, I think about, and I still do chase some big poses. Believe me, I'm still out there and you'll still see me flopping around on Instagram. But I just remember I could do handstand a lot longer, a couple of years before I could do forearm stands. And I thought there was that you do legs up the wall, you do shoulder stands. You do headstands, then you know what? There was that like learning curve, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and then I was getting frustrated. Like, why can't I do this pose? I should be able to do this pose. Fuck! Why can't I do this pose? <laughs> I can do a handstand. Oh my god! You know, and then mentally taking me down this like path of um, no return, and knowing that how on earth am I gonna learn something <laughs> if I'm in that panic? Yeah. But I'm in that frustration. So um, like relaxing, some things will come to you a lot easier if you don't fight, you know, drag, if you, it, you know, you let go or you, or you, or you get drugged through it. So, um, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest things I've been trying to explain to people who are pursuing larger poses. Cause I still teach privates of inversions, big back bends. People want to say, how do I get my feet to my head in an inversion? you know, or even King Cobra on my belly. So I get a lot of private requests for that. And some of it is like, don't want it so bad. Right. Yeah. Like act like the guy that you don't want to really ask you out, but you want to ask him, you <laughs> crazy and nuts. He's going to be crazy nuts. I've been married a long time, so I'm going to pretend that I know what it's like to do. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, we know that our brains control pretty much everything. Right? Yeah. yeah. The nerve this nerve information to the muscles, to the joints, to the organs. Relax. Mm -hmm. Calm down. Breathe. Take your time. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's some <laughs> of the most powerful stuff I think that you can do. So if you're a single man or woman out there and you want to attract a pose, <laughs> Don't stalk it. <laughs> Don't be such an aggressive creep. <laughs> just back off. <laughs> just think of like, it's like luring pigeons to your balcony. <laughs> I'm so wise. Wow. <laughs> no, I love it. It's perfect. It's right in line with the stuff we talk about. I'm going to try and wrap up just like I'll give some kind of bullet points of Oh my! Talking yes. about because we talked a lot, a lot <laughs> talked about a lot of stuff here um, about the sustainability um, in being a, a yoga teacher. So, mm. just from what you've talked about, so knowing pose progression or modifications for certain poses, so that you can teach to your class and offer them um, different things for different. Um, I wouldn't call it abilities, like different levels of readiness. Um, teach to something. So as a teacher, and I've talked about this and I find this 
very true for myself. I burn out way more quickly when I'm not giving uh, teaching to something that inspires me. So you have to feed yourself a little bit in your teaching as well as feed your students and you kind of work off of each other. So teach to something, find a focus, being that a sutra, being that a physical focus, whatever. Yeah. Giving, being of service. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm. He's back. Yeah. And then invest in your students. So look at them talk to them, talk to their bodies, talk to their needs, see energetically talk to them um, and literally talk to them <laughs> before and after your classes. Um, yeah. Look at your students. So that kind of feeds into that one as well. So noticing asymmetries in the bodies, noticing the different movement patterns, especially if you're having recurring students, um, noticing how their, their practice is shifting and then how you can um, – kind of feed them in that way and then refer your students to other classes so don't be afraid you're not gonna necessarily lose students and and also just that mindset is kind of um not gonna feed you if you're thinking of keeping students in your class the more you kind of give the more you get back and just knowing that you're giving your students the right thing if it's time for them to move out of your practice and into someone else's um giving that like giving that referral yeah, absolutely. And as a teacher, take other people's classes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good you know, one. I know it's so expensive, but, you know, do whatever you can as far as training. There's a lot of really inexpensive online stuff. Like our teacher, Tiffany, has some really nice um, courses online that are really inexpensive. Like mm -hmm. Yoga Glow or Off of Yoga Medicine or Yoga International, among some other great teachers. Like I love Jason Crandall. I love Amy Polity. I mean, I can name tons of teachers. But they're ex you'll notice that some of the most successful teachers are also some of the most generous. Right. Yeah. Because it's that thing. If you are giving back, you get. And that shouldn't be the motivation. You know, like. If people want to teach yoga because they think it's cool and it's glamorous, they're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> mm -hmm. If they're going to find yeah. it rewarding and of service, then they will be, I think, abundantly surprised. But, um, you know, as a teacher, keep practicing. As a practitioner, keep trying different things, trying different um, styles, different teachers, um, different movement modalities, um, pick each other's brains, find peers, find mentors. Um, like the yoga medicine family is so amazing. There's so much that people share we can go all over the world and find sisterhood or brotherhood, you know, within our communities. And, um, but we have that in our local areas as well. Yeah. Even on Instagram, some of my best friends I've met, I've met through the square. Yeah, that's so cool. Talk to daily. Yeah. And yeah. we share this, this beautiful love of the yoga practice and its frustrations and its rewards. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Maybe before we go, because I don't think we talked about it, or maybe I gapped out if we did talk about it. I don't think so. <laughs> Who knows? What is your, um, just like quick summary of what is your yoga practice look like right now? Like on a weekly basis, what kind of styles do you dabble in? Maybe how long, how much is home practice? How much is studio? How does that kind of, and obviously it well, changes all the time. 
Yeah, I probably only practice in the studio once a week. And some of that has to do with because of my schedule, my son's in Little League right now. So I'm a baseball mom. Um, and I teach during um, 930 and noon and some corporates at night or private. So I usually only practice once a week. And um, I tend to go to a couple of my favorite peers just because I know that right now what they're teaching, as far as it's underneath a power vinyasa um, label, but the movement is highly functional and it's not like just sun A's and sun B's. In fact, it's very rare of that, that you feel powerful and you are moving slower. I have found stripping momentum on fast vinyasas has actually made me a stronger, more mobile because I am not using momentum. I am using pure musculature and breath and tapas you know that determination mm -hmm. so at home i tend to practice maybe about 20 to 30 minutes per day sometimes longer and it's slow but i always then on top of that do because i'm a big kid about 20 minutes of inversions form stand or handstand every day cool so um but i do balls I love to roll on balls. So I do those a couple yep. times a week. But I have to say I'm pretty much in love with like just non-heated vinyasa or slow flows because I think slow flows can be brutally challenging. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Like the way I'm teaching these days when I'm teaching vinyasa or a power vinyasa, like I'm moving people much more slowly and mindfully, hopefully. And sometimes they don't listen to me, but you know, you're <laughs> cueing it in a way and trying to... <laughs> have the, yeah. the speed of your cues a uh, little bit more slower, mindful, but strong, but super strong. And yeah, I find that in my body as well. I totally agree. I get way stronger from that. Yeah. I think people are like, oh, if I'm not sweating more, I didn't work out more. They're looking at these clocks or watches on their, you know, the wrist. And it's like saying like the caloric output, but I think that's such a deception. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Such a deception. Yeah. So that's what I, I mainly do. Um, you know, I do a lot of yoga glow classes with like our teacher and, you know, um, and I also love Carmen Aguilar. I teach, I practice her on Vimeo. She's, um, she doesn't do any salutations. She starts you seated and she'll just rock your world. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my, that's what I'm doing these days. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that we should probably wrap it up because otherwise we'll just talk for seven hours, which we would enjoy, but <laughs> maybe other people. <laughs> and I could. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, chatting with us today. And I hope our listeners got something from that, like as a, from the perspective as a teacher, for those of you who are teachers and then students, how you can um, kind of guide your practice as you, as you evolve over time with age, et cetera. And um yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I'll shout out to our newsletter if you guys want to sign up for our newsletter. Um, we send out an email just once a month that kind of summarizes everything that we've done through the podcast and other um, means of giving you guys free information. And you can find us on Instagram at natandsandyyoga.com or sorry, natandsandyyoga. Natandsandyyoga.com is our website. And we will post all of Laura's um links to her Instagram if you want to see her doing cool postures. <laughs> it's always kind of inspiring <laughs> and some good conversation on there and as well as her website. And then anything else we've mentioned, we'll try and pull out of the notes and, and put into our show notes. Yeah. And yeah. I do want to mention, please like DM me. Is that what cool kids say? Yeah. Um, 
to, you know, talk if you have any questions. I'm pretty accessible. Um, and again, I, I, I really feel um, happy to, to answer any questions if anybody reaches out. So yeah, you, you t teach quite a bit, few public classes in the Seattle area, right? So people can come and check out your classes. Oh, public, private, corporate, and lead trainings. Um, my partner and I with Viveka Yoga are launching our 500 in the fall. So we're super oh, wow. excited. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's so All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. And um, we'll talk to you on the next show. Thanks, ladies. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.